You don't have to be fixed. There's, there's nothing wrong with you. You are a human being and no matter how differently your mind works, it doesn't mean that, that it's a defect. It's not, you know, something broken. It's your brain, it's functioning differently to the part where it's doing harm, but you can learn to adapt to this harm. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association, Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. First of all, I want to thank all of you for listening today as we continue celebrating Mental Health Awareness Month. And specifically this week is Children's Mental Health Awareness Week. So to close out this amazing week, we're going to be talking about all things empowered voices. So this is a program that provides a safe environment for youth ages 16 to 24 who are passionate about improving mental health services and systems. And the members of this group work together to really you know, better their community on issues they're passionate about through advocacy and community projects. And I've invited Grayson Phipps, who oversees Empowered Voices, to join us today in a conversation with two Empowered Voices members, Rachel Hollis and Atlas Underhill. And before we get to that interview, Grayson, I want to thank you so much for being here. And, you know, if you could just tell us about yourself and about Empowered Voices. Hello, my name is Grayson Phipps. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I work for the Mental Health Association as the facilitator of a group called Empowered Voices, which is a youth advocacy group for ages 16 to 24. So if you're interested in improving social systems for youth and interested in advocacy for youth, it's definitely something to check out. Very cool. All right. So tell our audience how they can get involved. So you can get involved by contacting me through email empoweredvoices at mhaok.org, or you can call or text me at 918-370-0643. Um, you can also reach out through Instagram at empoweredvoicesmhaok. All right. Again, thank you, Grayson, so much for hosting today's podcast for us. So I will leave it to you to introduce your guest today and take it from there. We have a couple of members from Empowered Voices. We have Rachel Hollis and Atlas Underhill. So go ahead and let you guys introduce yourselves. Hi, my name is Rachel Hollis. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm 18 years old. I joined Empowered Voices to be able to work with people around my age, focusing around mental health education and resources and have something that can back up some of my ideas and that will be able to help get resources to teens, to adults, a lot easier and more efficient. Hi, I am Atlas Underhill. I am 17, turning 18 too soon. And I joined Empowered Voices because I've been doing advocacy since I was about, I don't know, 11 or 12. I loved doing activism related things and I've been through different organizations and stuff. But I joined Empowered Voices because it was the only thing that was currently accessible to my disability. And I, I learned about it and it was all virtual at the time. And as someone who can't really get out of the house much as a wheelchair user and also a whole bunch of other stuff. I was like, sure, I'll give this a shot. You know, this is the only thing that I can do right now. I've had to quit all my other stuff because of it. And the platform that Empowered Voices has given me has been incredible because seeing other, you know, young adults and teens like me who are passionate about the awareness and education behind mental illness and other related topics, you know, it's really great. 
All right. So our first question is, how can mental health be normalized in daily life? And we'll start with Rachel. So after being in high school and creating many mental health programs, as well as mental health awareness months, I've realized that being able to normalize something as broad and difficult to understand as mental illness or mental health is creating a constant conversation with specifically in this situation, high school students, parents, and teachers. Once you're able to talk about this topic in a very comfortable environment, you're able to move forward and start getting help for it. And so being able to provide resources, have mental health educators and things like that come in and talk to students at the age that we are now, as well as parents, we're able to start, we're able to break the fear of talking about something that is extremely hard to grasp. And Atlas, do you want to go ahead? Uh, Yeah. So I think the first step that can definitely be made in situations, you know, like especially schools is creating a safe space. For a while, I was president of my school's GSA and I was a, a small town southern school. So I feel like you can kind of imagine how that was. But with that, I came in contact with a lot of kids my age who were really, really struggling with their mental health. And as as someone who's also been in that place, creating a safe space with this GSA, not only for, you know, LGBTQ plus people, but for allies as well. And anyone who needs that kind of space, the safe space being making sure that they know, that kids know that they aren't going to be judged if they talk about something that they're not going to think they're not going to think that your response is going to be like, oh, well, that's a that's a stupid problem or having open communication, especially it's difficult with teenagers, but with a with a safe space. And this can be, you know, in the, in the situation like mine where I had my GSA or just in the general aspect, having the open line of communication, because I feel like, you know, uh, during the mental health awareness weeks or whatever, you know, sometimes school will do an assembly or they'll do like posters and stuff around, but it's less personal. And by making sure that it is open to a, a, making sure that there's an actual connection that's open and there accessible to any student will open those possibilities and having resources on hand. I, I carried like a big old fanny pack full of different like hotlines and resources and all kinds of stuff when I was president of GSA, because it, it was important to me seeing just how many kids didn't didn't know what they were going through. You know, uh, I heard from one person, they were like, ah, I, I feel like I'm possessed or something. And it, it kind of stuck with me because he, because of this not normalization, they think that it's, they don't know what it is. They don't know how to identify it. They don't know what they're thinking or what they're going through because they do not have the access to resources or just someone to tell them, you know, like they're not possessed and what they're going through is, you know, not, I'm not going to say like, it's, it's good. It's normal, but like, it's one of those, like, it's not something to be ashamed of and there's options and you aren't alone in a situation like that. I think it's really important to have those conversations and have those safe spaces. And the more we talk about 
these issues about mental health topics, the less stigmatized it'll be and it'll be more normalized. I also think that being able to talk about it more will also, you know, be able to provide more resources because more people are going to want to reach out once they're educated on it. Because a lot of, I mean, like the main issues always <laughs> is like when people are under edu- undereducated about something. And so I think that's the education and communication play hand in hand. And so the importance of normalizing it is crucial. And so, yes. The- yes, exactly. I, I super agree with that. The start the conversation. Like if you have access to, you know, a place where you come in contact with young adults, youth, anyone, honestly, you know, not even just towards youth and stuff. If you work, you know, in a school or at any, any kind of uh, place like that, start the conversation. If you see someone who may be struggling, let them know that there is, there is a place for them to go. There's someone to talk to. So they know that it's not something that they don't have to stay clueless. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much for those insights. All right. So the next question I had um, is what barriers do youth and young adults face in receiving mental health treatment? So I would just off the top of my head, thinking about how stigmatized it is. And, you know, there's different generational views as well. So I know for youth and young adults, it can be difficult receiving treatment if their parents or their, you know, older family members don't really view mental health as something that is a real issue or a real problem to face. So so I think one of the biggest challenges for teenagers and to talk about or get help for their mental illness is that a lot of the times it's based on behavior. And so you'll see a kid who is acting out in class, is skipping class, is treating someone poorly, is failing classes and stuff. That's all, it's typically blamed on behavioral issues instead of looking past it and being like, there's, there's a reason why they're doing these things. And it's very, you, you see it often, too often, that like if you, if you have a kid that sleeps in class or you have a kid that doesn't want to come to school, they could have severe depression. They could have a sleep disorder. They can have severe anxiety, which causes them to shut down. And like personally seeing that in the high school that I had, as well as my own experiences, like a lot of the times I felt like I was doing something wrong, but it was a behavioral choice and it wasn't something related to anything other than my decision-making. And so I think that's like personally one of the biggest setbacks for teenagers asking for help because it's just going to be blamed on something that they did, that they're trying to get out of it or they're trying to do this and use it as an excuse. And so if someone gets in trouble for something very big or something that's happening often, instead of just suspending them or taking stuff away, anything like that, you need to, you have to figure out why they're doing that because there's always another reason for your action. I, I absolutely agree with, with that racial. I feel like the, 
the worth, especially uh, when you get into your teen years, is defined by your obedience. And so when you are struggling with, you know, a disorder or mental illness or something like that, you you fall out of what would be traditionally considered acceptable or the, quote, good kid. And you will try to pick up negative coping skills. You will try to find some way to make things work and you know, not always, it's not always good choices, like you said, you know, but there's going to be a reason behind that. The, I feel like looking for attention is a thing that I hear way too often about teenagers. And I feel like that's kind of my experience with the biggest barrier in receiving help for mental health is someone will say, hey, like, I think I have a mental illness. I think I have depression or anxiety or, you know, it's something along those lines. And the immediate response will be, well, I haven't noticed. So they're, they're, or they're probably just looking for attention. They want people to, to, to tell them, you know, like, give, pity them and feel bad for them. Let me tell you, having, having mental illness isn't fun. And every single person is like that. Like you think you're, oh, well, I'm not going to give them the time of day because they're just looking for it. I promise every single person is like you. <laughs> and so they're not getting any the attention that you think they're, they're trying to get, they're not getting anyways. And for, it, it takes a lot of courage in general to be able to come forward with something like that. And the dismissal, the dismissal of looking for attention when even then, even if someone is just trying to get attention, that's part of being a human being, you need attention. And if someone is going out of their way to create something like that in their, you know, to create a story like that, obviously, there's another issue that needs to be addressed in general. Like that's, that's a problem in itself and they're struggling and they, they, it's a problem that needs to be addressed. And it's, even if the quote, atten even if it is quote attention seeking, it is still, you know, they are obviously facing some kind of thing where they are not having their social needs met or they are not having some kind of emotional needs met to need to, you know, act out like that. Yes, and I have seen this a lot. It's like when trigger warning, self-harm, not going graphic or anything, but sometimes, or like most of the times in certain examples if someone is self-harming in any way and they're like, and then someone's like, they're just doing it for attention. That's still a problem. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, so you're gonna tell this person that they're, hurting themselves just for attention and then you're going to just ignore it because you think that that's overdramatic. Like that's so ridiculous because it doesn't matter the reason why initially they're doing this thing. You need to find a solution or you need to find ways to move forward and help this person because you can keep telling someone who has an eating disorder, who has severe depression or all this stuff that they're doing all these things for attention just like you said alice like we still gotta figure something out there still needs to be something done even if it's just for attention like there's it needs it like it can't just be unnoticed or unaddressed or anything like that because it that's not gonna find a solution and so yeah. i've seen that so often especially with self-harm and it's yeah like, mentally immensely healthy people uh, mentally healthy people a mentally health a mentally healthy person is not going to hurt themselves for attention. Like there's obviously something wrong there. Yes. And like, I understand 
you know, based off of personal experiences, like my parents were terrified when I did quite a few things. And so I know that there's like this huge fear base behind a lot of discussions about mental health or addressing mental health, because say you're a parent, you don't want your kids to have these things. You don't want your kids to be doing this stuff. And so if you just push it under the rug, if you just hide it, then it's not going to be an issue for your family. But that's not how mental health works. It's not how mental illnesses work. And I just have seen it like it happened with a family member that they just acted out and was a lot of the times people who take drugs in high school are self-medicating because they don't know how to express that they're having issues or their parents haven't acknowledged it or will get them help. And so like for this family member, their parents took all of the furniture out of their room to like, because they thought that it was behavioral and they would cut his hair because they thought that the hair was making him act this way. And it's like, you, you can't keep putting excuses like attention seeking or like you just want to be cool in school like doing drugs or something like most of the time just like you said atlas like help mentally healthy people don't typically do these things (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) so this just it just is so baffling to me that it takes so long for parents or teachers even or other family members to catch on because just like atlas would do with with his resources I did that for my friends and everyone came to me and I was 16 years old in and out of mental health facilities, giving people my resources that I just learned, having people message me saying that they want to kill themselves. And I have to do something about it because the adults didn't acknowledge it. And even when they did, they didn't go all the way. They didn't like work towards a solution they just had it like just a temporary fix for the moment yeah those are really good points i think that kind of speaks to the stigma that's surrounding mental illness still in those generational differences that we tend to see i know when i was in high school i was going through probably the lowest point of my life and i remember you know someone saying to me why are you so sad you have a good life or, you know, your life is fine. And I didn't know how to grapple with that. Like, I didn't know how to explain like, yeah, my life is, my life is good, you know, looking in from the outside, but that doesn't, that doesn't take away the depression that I was experiencing or the anxiety. So I think it's important that adults navigate this conversation a different way. Like, let's not just sweep it under the rug. Like you, like you mentioned, let's actually talk about it and, and help youth get the help that they need because no one's going to reach out for help just, just for fun. You know, they, they need the help and it takes a lot of courage for them to reach out for that help. So I think changing the way that some adults go, go about that conversation would be really um, beneficial. So my next question is just as someone who struggles with depression and anxiety myself, I know that it's really important having support. So how important do you think it is to have support while navigating the mental health system? And then also what benefited you when you needed support or help, whether that's home, school, work, or anywhere else? Rachel, we'll start with you. 
So when it comes to support systems, my support system saved my life 100%. If I didn't have them, I don't think I would be on this podcast right now, which is really hard to say and think about as well. But I've also had negative experiences where people didn't believe me that I had a mental illness and I went to a mental health facility for attention and I lost those friends, but I'm really glad I did because they would not have supported me the way that my friends do. And so like for me, my, my best friends have all of my tells for my severe panic attacks written in their notes they wrote down all of my tells and what to do to help me if I'm going through a panic attack, if I'm having some sort of episode or anything like that. And that is, I'm just so lucky and just grateful for these people. And when it came to my parents, my parents previously went through everything with a fam with another family member. And if he hadn't have gone through all of the insane stuff that he did, like I was explaining earlier, that exact same stuff would have happened to me. But since he went through everything that he did and they, they figured out what mental health facilities do, what medicines to do, what all of these things can help, I was able to get help a lot sooner than he was able to. And so I started getting help with my mental illnesses at the age of 12. And so through that, my parents have been very supportive and as well as my teachers, they would create safe spaces for me to go in their classrooms, certain classrooms I could just go in and sit next to the desk or eat in the classroom when I was struggling with my eating disorder. They would let me eat by myself when I still wasn't able to do that. And, and just small things like that, that just helped me make it through the day most of the time. I know that these experiences are extremely different for every single person, especially people who have schools that do not support every single student. My school is extremely small. There are 27 students in my senior class, small. <laughs> and so we were able to be a lot closer to the teachers. I was able to have my friends around me all the time there to help me. But I've seen a lot of examples, even of other students in my same school, not have the same support from their parents or their friends. And so I genuine, genuinely think that, or I 100% believe that if you are able to get at least one person to be your rock or to listen or notice tiny little differences about you, it can be you're like a sibling younger or older, it can be a neighbor who notices you and knows if something's wrong or anything like that. If you can get at least one person or have one person reach out to you, that could be enough to save someone from mental illness or anything that comes with it. And so with that, that's why I'm so passionate about the education side of mental health because of the experience that I had in the support system that I had and the people who didn't have the support system, knowing that 
there is a way for everyone to have some sort of support. We just need to start. We just need to move forward and start doing that for people. And so like support systems, I think are one of the most effective things for helping someone who either got a recent mental mental illness diagnosis or, you know, people in general, people who don't have mental illnesses need support systems to back you up, to help motivate you to, to, you know, check it. And so if we're able to do something like empowered voices that can bring anything into the table, then we're doing something. And that's why I personally love our group because we're doing things that school systems haven't done, that parents haven't done. We're, we're starting on that and we're like, we're 16 to 24 years old. <laughs> and so we, I genuinely think that with Empowered Voices, I have another support system because I love you guys. <laughs> you guys are the best. Even though I've known you for a lot shorter time than my current friends, like I was able to join a group. I was able to get myself out there and do this. And even though I was terrified, I almost didn't get on the first call because my anxiety is crippling. <laughs> and so I'm like, I don't even want to get on this phone call. And so, but I did. And now I have another support system and I'm able to be here and share my story and talk about why it's amazing and very vital for someone to have a support system. I think my my experience, I, I'm sorry to be that kind of person, but I feel like mine I kind of, I, I definitely agree. Mine and my experience for agreeing with that is kind of the opposite sp- side of the spectrum. I didn't have a very good support system. I, my, 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 I'm neurodivergent. And so one of my biggest things that I struggle with is like making friends and being able to read social cues and communicate effectively. And I wasn't until honestly past two years that I actually started making a lot of progress. And before that, I let a lot of really toxic people into my life. And so I didn't have a good support system from friends and my family had their own issues that they were working out and didn't know how themselves. And so they, starting out, it was very, very difficult. There's definitely been improvement, but I, and, and I wish I could say, you know, like I have a, a wonderful support system now, but there's still a lot of the times where I, I need someone to talk to and there's a put on the back burner is I guess how I feel a lot of the time when it comes to my family and even my friends now, you know, I, I love my friends. That sounds like I'm trying to like, oh man, everyone's terrible. No, like they're great, but like, when it comes to communicating and having a support system and someone to talk to, there's definitely a learning curve. My my family, I, I've been struggling with my mental health for a long, long, long time, but I started receiving help for it when I was 12 and it, no, 12 or 13, sorry. But it it is still, you know, my, my family has come a, a very, very long way. It's really important to have someone to talk to. My, my situation now is, you know, not perfect, but it's still way better than it used to be. And having just the improvements that I've had has made it so I, I've re- 
been able to reach that emotional stability that I have been seeking since I was 12, you know? It's even if someone, you know, can't change something or they can't make it, quote, make it better, you know, they can still be there to listen and comfort. And sometimes that's just all you need. For me, when I'm, I'm having a really bad day with for my mental health or my, my physical health is really bad too and I'm having a real bad flare up or there are times where I like can't move my body, which is super weird, but I can, I can feel it coming on and I'll, I'll ask, you know, my, my family if, if I, they can help me and they're like, well, we can't do much. And the thing is, is like, even if they just sat with me and I knew that there was someone in the room with me, you know, they could be doing their own thing, you know, texting someone, just doing whatever, but having someone in the room, just knowing that you aren't alone emotionally and physically and knowing that someone cares about you on that level to have that communication and the connection to, it's important and it helps tremendously just the little little things it doesn't have to be some deep conversation it doesn't have to be a thorough sometimes it is a thorough vent but it doesn't even have to be it's knowing that someone cares enough to like like rachel said you know check on you notice when there are those changes in your emotional health it it's something that you think about when you think that nobody cares about you or cares enough to want to help you. Those are just the little things even are the things that you're gonna look at and you're gonna think of. If you don't mind me asking, Alice, have you ever used any of the mental health helplines? Have you ever used any? If you don't, you don't have to answer that if you don't. I have, I have. The thing about those is a lot of the time it feels like they, a lot of their job is mainly for the main crisis, which is super, super valid. You know, like I understand they, they have tons and tons of people needing help and stuff like that. So they they have a job and that is to make sure to keep this person safe. But if you are not in the, you know, I have a plan status, then usually they're kind of like, well, sorry, I can't really do much. I've, I've got to help other people. And then if you are in that status then they're like, okay, I'm sending, you know, an ambulance to your house to take you to a hospital. And so it's, I feel like a, a lot of those, those lines are helpful in theory, but when it comes to just having someone to talk through things, it's a little, doesn't work as well. I think as a group, we should really look into finding more like different types of helplines that aren't just for crisis based, because I've seen a lot of recent stuff where they have like text lines that are actual people who will have actual conversations with you. So maybe we should bring that up in our next meeting or something like that, because you know, this is exactly what this group is and talking and doing stuff like this. It's like how, from our own experiences, can we make this better for someone else? And so yeah. I think we should definitely look into that because there has to be, there, there has to be something that will be good for any type of situation that you need addressed at that moment. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. I feel like that's for sure, something that we can look into, maybe um, a next project of ours or something. But yeah, that would be great. And thank you both for sharing that. To speak to the importance of a support system a little bit, you know, on my side of it, I would say that with that stigmatization, with that stigma that's surrounding mental illness, it was really hard for me to get 
a big support system because, you know, growing up in a small town where we just didn't talk about mental health topics like that. So whenever I was experiencing depression and, you know, still do, but anyway, when I was in high school, whenever I was really, really struggling with it, it was hard to talk to anyone about it. And, you know, I finally was able to talk to my mom about it and I was able to get help, but it's difficult to have a support system when there's so much stigma surrounding those conversations it's hard to get that that support system. And I'm really thankful now, you know, I have a really, you know, loving and supporting partner and my friends and, you know, my mom helps me. So I think that support system is really important, especially now dealing with, you know, with the political climate, with COVID, with, you know, all that stuff. It's just super important. And I think, yeah, that's it. It's important. <laughs> All right. So my next question is, what advice would you give to adults, including parents, teachers, law enforcement and others who work with youth and young adults? And what advice would you give to other youth and young adults regarding mental health? And Rachel, we'll start with you. This is one of my favorite questions because I am this is like the main focus of what I've done regarding mental health advocacy and trying to understand and improve. And I think that, so for the first part, when it comes to what I would say to parents or what I would like to change about that or any other um, type of adult figure is that it's not the kid that needs to make the changes. You have to make changes too. You, you need to educate yourself as well as take classes on how to help your kid in the future because I think that a lot of situations that have been addressed for teens only the kid is doing the work they're the ones going to the mental health facilities for weeks months or year or longer and they're doing intense inpatient treatment they're taking classes group it's like socials and, and stuff inside of this mental health facility, having to work every second of every day to get better. And when they go home, they're most likely going to be put in the exact same environment that they had when they left. And that is how you create a failed system. And so I believe, or I think that if Parents, teachers, adults, police officers, really anyone can start adding to this health journey for their kid or teen, whatever, that the outcome will be consistent. It would be consistently successful. And so when it comes to uh, teachers, there are crisis team classes that you were able to take as a teacher in order to help prevent certain things in the future. Because we had one of my friends at my school took her own life in 2018. And then my teachers got taught crisis, crisis school work and stuff like that. Uh, crisis classes. And, and so as well as parents, when it comes to parents, they're not in the mental health facilities with their students. They're not going to their therapy appointments usually. And so in order to 
move forward, environments need to change. People need to change with the person who is changing for themselves and to better their lives and to better their parents' lives or their adult lives because mental health doesn't just affect a single person and affects everyone around them whether it be like causing dangerous situations for other family members or students, whether it be causing issues with adults' work, parents' work, because they have to stay home with their kid. So in in order to have someone who is going to be in successful recovery for their mental illness, they need their parents, teachers, and other adults in their lives to be able to take classes and to educate themselves on what they can do to help the, the, the youth that they have or that they're around. And so it can't just be a one-sided thing. And so I think that that is a huge gap in the mental health community is that it's all put on the kid. It's all put on them. And they can't do it all because they're still struggling with a mental illness and they don't go away. This is something that they live with mostly, most cases, they live with for the rest of their lives. And they're the ones getting the diagnoses. They're the ones being told that they have bipolar disorder, that they have schizophrenia, that they have anorexia or bulimia. And having that kind of label, it weighs you down. And they are the ones that are taking it and taking it. And so adults need to play a role. Doesn't matter what role they are in as like a profession or their parent, there needs to be some sort of education put in place so that they can make changes as well. And when it comes to advice for someone who is struggling with a mental illness, is that no feeling is final. There are moments in your life that you are going to think that this is going to last forever. And then in some cases, people end it there. And I promise it doesn't last. The, because that is how our brains and life works is that it ebbs and flows and it goes up and down like a crazy roller coaster. And as my mom says, she's like, ride the wave when I have a manic episode and then I have a depression episode. And you're like, mom, I'm riding the wave, <laughs> just waiting for it to calm down. But that's the thing is like, you just have to keep reminding yourself that it is not this moment in time, this horrible feeling that you're just like, you're going to explode. It's, it's not going to last and that you are able to move forward. And there are options to get help. There are medications you can try. There are different versions of therapy. And like one of the biggest things that saved me is I have a, I didn't even know about it till I was, you know, in crisis that they have psychiatric medical alert service dogs. And I have one. She's right outside the door and her name is Louise. And she is also another reason why I'm here. (laughs) There are options. There are always options. And the feeling is not going to last. So what I think when it for I'll I'll start with the um, adult side, you know, for adults, when especially parents, when a teenager or whatever comes to you 
and they have a problem, your first instinct is you want to fix it. Like, especially with parents there, if that problem exists, your first instinct is, oh, how can I fix this? How can I, you know, make this not happen? But the thing is, is like, it's uh, with mental illness, it's not something that, you know, you've stop something and everything's fixed you know like there's not a person that you can yell at that's gonna make them stop having mental illness <laughs> and so with a lot of situations you know especially like what rachel is saying it's not a situation it shouldn't be a situation in which only the youth changes it's a it's a situation in which everybody has to learn how to navigate their normal because the idea of normal being, well, you should learn to fix your mental health until you get to this, like what we consider normal when the reality of it is everybody's got to find a new normal, you know, where there is comfort. You can't heal in the same situation that's hurting you. That's, that's not possible. Like a burn isn't going to heal if you keep pouring hot water on it. That's not, that's not how things work. So, you know, like I said, there especially parents, their first instinct is to try and fix things. And so when it's not a situation that they can fix, or if the youth isn't even able to identify what's wrong themselves, because a lot of the time you, you don't know, you don't know what's going on in your head, you know, because the mental illness exists before the diagnosis. And especially in situations where parents aren't as supportive, they, they won't get a diagnosis, but that doesn't mean the mental illness isn't there. doesn't mean that it exists. Cause you get a diagnosis cause you have it. you like, it doesn't start existing once you get that diagnosis. And so with the, when, when you can't fix something, a lot of the time adults will kind of, okay, well, that's, I can't fix it. So therefore there's nothing I can do when you, situations like that are making the child who already feels helpless enough to reach out and, you know, say something than to face, you know, well, I can't fix it. So, oh, well, you know, kind of thing like that's, that's your thing to try and figure out. It's, they think that there is no way to feel better because there's no way to quote, fix it. There, there is no way to fix or cure mental illness, you know, but there is finding, as I said, that new normal and getting into the what, 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 what advice would I give to someone my age, you know, other teenagers or young adults, your normal exists. And there's people who are going to be okay with that. There's going to be people who are going to support that. It may not be the people that you know right now. It may not be the people that you think it's going to be. It may not be the people you want it to be. Most of the time, it's not going to be the people you want it to be because clearly you're wanting them because it's not happening. But there's going to be people out there. It may not be in your immediate perspective, but your normal is honestly probably a lot of people's normal, even if it isn't the normal of people around you. And there's a lot of time that, especially like from my experience and what I've seen from other people, you know, time and energy and just every so much energy being spent on trying to get other people to want to find that new normal with you. And it's, it's not gonna happen if you don't have to be fixed. There's, there's nothing wrong with you. You are a human being and no matter how differently your mind works, it doesn't mean that, that it's a defect. It's not, you know, something broken. It's your brain functioning a little bit. It's functioning differently to the part where it's doing harm, but you can 
learn to adapt to this harm, you know, and that that's kind of, I, I phrase that kind of poorly, but you can learn to, like I said, you know, make that your new normal because the world keeps spinning and you keep moving and life goes on. And that's a super cool thing. Like if you would have asked me three years ago where I would be right now, I'd be like, oh yeah, I was about, to, I'd, I'd be like about to finish my senior year in high school, about to start college. But that didn't happen. I got like super sick in my junior year and my school refused an IEP, forced me to drop out. You know, like there was a whole bunch of stuff that happened and my entire life changed. I had been meticulously planning since I was a very, very small child. And so, you know, like asking me three years ago where I thought I would be now, it'd be, I'd say something a, a lot different. I'd probably be like, well, I would just be finding out whether I got accepted to my school of choice. And then I'd be planning to, you know, go to college the, ne the next semester and I'd be graduating from high school, all that stuff. That's, that's not what happened, but I'm okay. Honestly, I'm happy. I'm thriving. You know, I'm super sick and I hurt all the time, but that's become my norm, new normal. And that doesn't get rid of the good things. You know, finding that equilibrium in which you can navigate your world is not striving to be, quote, normal again. It is figuring out that this is normal and you deserve to be happy with that. Well, that was fantastic. <laughs> that was just amazing. <laughs> yeah, you guys both did great. Thank you both, Rachel and Atlas, for sharing your perspectives on mental health. To end the podcast, I'll just ask you to share your parting words of wisdom with the audience. And Rachel, we'll start with you. My parting words of wisdom. <laughs> I think it goes into play with um, how I answered the last question, but I'm going to just reiterate it again that you're, you're going to want to stop. You're going to want to not move forward and you, you'll think that you're just going to be stuck like this forever. But as Atlas said, that that's not how it works. That's not how this life thing works at all. And so I mean, I have had moments where I thought I was going to be stuck in this state forever and I didn't want to continue. But somewhere deep within me, I was able to push past that. And I still don't know to this day what was in me that, that gave me the ability to hold on but I firmly believe that every single person has that in them, that there is something deep down inside that will push you forward. You will be able to continue. And you just have to keep reminding yourself that there are going to be more opportunities and, and experiences in your life that are going to make all of the pain and just suffering and just god-awful feelings that you have worth it as crazy as that sounds and as kind of unmotivating as that sounds in a sense it's that it will get better i can't tell you when i, I you might not know when but it, it doesn't matter you have to have that faith in knowing that it will someday get better.
I think I think my parting words of wisdom would be you don't have to prove yourself to anybody. Your emotions, your everything is valid and your existence is, you know, I don't care if you believe in fate or, you know, everyone exists for a reason, you know, your your existence is factual. You know, it's it's a thing that exists and with that you have infinite possibilities and you don't have to justify whether your decision is a good decision or a bad decision. You don't have to, if a doctor says that, you know, well, you may think you have depression, but I see, you know, I, I see kids like you all the time, you know, the situation we're talking about, you know, just reaching for attention that happens from everybody all the time, you know, like it's, you know, what you're experiencing better than anybody, you know, yourself better than anybody. And you know, you know what makes you happy and there's not going to be a single person that can tell you how to be how to do that there's not going to be a single person out there that's going to tell you how to be success that can tell you how to be successful that can tell you you know like well this is the right way to exist because there isn't one there is there's no such thing as a correct way to exist and so with that a lot of the time you know when it when you're struggling with mental illness you will want to try and prove to other people that you're a good person because you don't believe it yourself and you're wanting to try and and present this as your highlighted feature, but I'm, you exist as a good person outside of your quote successes. You exist as a good person outside of, you know, something that you deserve to be proud of yourself no matter what you're doing. You deserve to be confident and, sorry, like, you don't have to prove yourself to anybody. And there are going to be times when people aren't gonna believe you. There's gonna be times when you start to doubt yourself because everyone is doubting you so much. You're gonna, people are gonna gaslight you so much. You're gonna gaslight yourself. You're gonna be like, well, I have this distinct memory, but did it actually happen? Maybe I'm exaggerating. Maybe I wasn't feeling like that. Let me tell you, that's the awful pressure that society's putting on you. I promise a mentally healthy person wouldn't be questioning stuff like that. You're valid and I appreciate you. That's my words of wisdom.